is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, certiorari to United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Argued December 1st, 2021. Decided June 24th, 2022. If you'd like to support the podcast, please stay tuned to the end of the podcast or um, find the PayPal link in the show notes. Mississippi's Gestational Age Act provides that, except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowingly perform or induce an abortion of an unborn human being if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks. Respondents, Jackson Women's Health Organization, an abortion clinic, and one of its doctors challenged the act in federal district court alleging that it violated this court's precedents establishing a constitutional right to abortion. In particular, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey. The district court granted summary judgment in favor of respondents and permanently enjoined enforcement of the act, reasoning that Mississippi's 15-week restriction on abortion violates this court's cases forbidding states to ban abortion pre-viability. The Fifth Circuit affirmed, Before this court, petitioners defend the act on the grounds that Roe and Casey were wrongly decided and that the act is constitutional because it satisfies rational basis review. The Supreme Court held the decision below is reversed and remanded and Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court. The Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. The critical question is whether the Constitution, properly understood, confers a right to obtain an abortion. Casey's controlling opinion skipped over that question and reaffirmed Roe solely on the basis of stare decisis. A proper application of stare decisis, however, requires an assessment of the strength of the grounds on which Roe was based. The court therefore turns to the question that Casey, that the Casey plurality did not consider. First, the court reviews the standard that the court's cases have used to determine whether the 14th Amendment's reference to liberty protects a particular right. The Constitution makes no express reference to a right to obtain an abortion, but several constitutional provisions have been offered as potential homes for an implicit constitutional right. Roe held that the abortion right is part of a right to privacy that springs from the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. The Casey Court grounded its decision solely on the theory that the right to obtain an abortion is part of the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. Others have suggested that support can be found in the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, but that theory is squarely foreclosed by the court's precedents, which establish that a state's regulation of abortion is not a sex-based classification and is thus not subject to the heightened scrutiny that applies to such classifications. Rather, regulations and prohibitions of abortion are governed by the same standard of review as other health and safety measures. Next, the court examines whether the right to obtain an abortion is rooted in the nation's history and tradition, and whether it is an essential component of ordered liberty. The court finds that the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition, 
the underlying theory on which Casey rested that the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause provides substantive as well as procedural protection for liberty has long been controversial. The court's decisions have held that the Due Process Clause protects two categories of substantive rights. Those rights guaranteed by the first eight amendments to the Constitution and those rights deemed fundamental that are not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. In deciding whether a right falls into either of these categories, the question is whether the right is deeply rooted in our history and tradition, and whether it is essential to this nation's scheme of ordered liberty. Uh, quoting Tim's versus Indiana, the term liberty alone provides little guidance. Thus, historical inquiries are essential whenever the court is asked to recognize a new component of the liberty interest protected by the due process clause. In interpreting what is meant by liberty, the court must guard against the natural human tendency to confuse what the 14th Amendment protects with the court's own ardent views about the liberty that Americans should enjoy. For this reason, the court has been reluctant to recognize rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution. Uh, Collins versus Harker Heights. Guided by the history and tradition that map the essential components of the nation's concept of ordered liberty, the court finds the 14th Amendment clearly does not protect the right to an abortion. Until the latter part of the 20th century, there was no support in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. No state constitutional provision had recognized such a right. Until a few years before Roe, no federal or state court had recognized such a right, nor had any scholarly treatise. Indeed, abortion had long been a crime in every single state. At common law, abortion was criminal in at least some stages of pregnancy and was regarded as unlawful and could have very serious consequences at all stages. American law followed the common law until a wave of statutory restrictions in the 1800s expanded criminal liability for abortions. By the time the 14th Amendment was adopted, three-quarters of the states had made abortion a crime at any stage of pregnancy. This consensus endured until the day Roe was decided. Roe either ignored or misstated this history, and Casey declined to reconsider Roe's faulty historical analysis. Respondents' argument that this history does not matter flies in the face of the standard the court has applied in determining whether an asserted right that is nowhere mentioned in the Constitution is nevertheless protected by the 14th Amendment. The Solicitor General repeats Roe's claim that it is doubtful abortion was ever firmly established as a common law crime, even with respect to the destruction or yeah, destruction of a quick fetus. But the great common law authorities, Bracton, Coke, Hale, and Blackstone, all wrote that a post-quickening abortion was a crime. Moreover, many authorities asserted that even a pre-quickening abortion was unlawful, and that, as a result, an abortionist was guilty of a murder if the woman died from the attempt. The Solicitor General suggests that history supports an abortion right because of the common law's failure to criminalize abortion before quickening, but the insistence on quickening was not universal. See Mills v. Commonwealth and State v. Slagle. Um... Mills is PA and Slagle is North Carolina. And regardless, the fact that many states in the late 18th and 19th century did not criminalize pre-quickening abortions does not mean that 
anyone thought the states lacked the authority to do so. Instead of seriously pressing the argument that the abortion right itself has deep roots, supporters of Roe and Casey contend that the abortion right is an integral part of a broader entrenched right. Roe termed this a right to privacy, and Casey described it as the freedom to make intimate and personal choices that are central to personal dignity and autonomy. Liberty sets limits and defines the boundary between competing interests. Roe and Casey each struck a particular balance between the interests of a woman who wants an abortion and the interests of what they termed potential life. Um, but the people of the various states may evaluate those interests differently. The nation's historical understanding of ordered liberty does not prevent the people's elected representatives from deciding how abortion should be regulated. Finally, the court considers whether a right to obtain an abortion is part of a broader entrenched right that is supported by other precedents. The court concludes the right to obtain an abortion cannot be justified as a component of such a right. Attempts to justify abortion through appeals to a broader right to autonomy and to define one's concept of existence prove too much. That's quoting Casey. Those criteria, at a high level of generality, could license fundamental rights to illicit drug use, prostitution, and the like. What sharply distinguishes the abortion right from the rights recognized in the cases on which Roe and Casey rely is something that both those decisions acknowledge. Abortion is different because it destroys what Roe termed potential life, and what the law challenged in this case calls an unborn human being. None of the other decisions cited by Roe and Casey involve the critical moral question posed by abortion. Accordingly, those cases do not support the right to obtain an abortion, and the court's conclusion that the Constitution does not confer such a right does not undermine them in any way. The doctrine of stare decisis does not counsel continued acceptance of Roe and Casey. Stare decisis plays an important role and protects the interests of those who have taken action in reliance on a past decision. It reduces incentives for challenging settled precedents, saving parties and courts the expense of endless relitigation. Uh, that's Kimball versus Marvel Entertainment. It contributes to the actual and perceived integrity of the judicial process, Payne versus Tennessee. And it restrains judicial hubris by respecting the judgment of those who grappled with the important question in the past. But stare decisis is not in it, not an inexorable command, Pearson versus Callahan, and is at its weakest when the court interprets the Constitution. Agnosti versus Felton. Okay. Um, some of the court's most important constitutional decisions have overruled prior precedents. See Brown versus Board of Education, um, overruling the infamous decision in Plessy versus Ferguson and its progeny. The court's cases have identified factors that should be considered in deciding what a precedent should be when a precedent should be overruled. That's uh, Janus versus State, County, and Municipal Employees. Five factors discussed below weigh strongly in favor of overruling Roe and Casey. The first factor, the nature of the court's error. Like the infamous decision in Plessy versus Ferguson, Roe was also egregiously wrong and on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. 
Casey perpetuated its errors, calling both sides of the national controversy to resolve their their debate. But in doing so, Casey necessarily declared a winning side. Those on the losing side, those who sought to advance the state's interest in fetal life, could no longer seek to persuade their elected representatives to adopt policies consistent with their views. The court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of Americans who disagreed with Roe. Secondly, the quality of the reasoning. Without any grounding in the constitutional text, history, or precedent, Roe imposed on the entire country a detailed set of rules for pregnancy divided into trimesters, much like those that one might expect to find in a statute or regulation. Roe's failure to even note the overwhelming consensus of state laws in effect in 1868 is striking, and what it said about the common law was simply wrong. Then, after surveying history, the opinion spent many paragraphs conducting the sort of fact-finding that might be undertaken by a legislative committee, and did not explain why the sources on which it relied shed light on the meaning of the Constitution. As to precedent, citing a broad array of cases, the court found support for a constitutional right of personal privacy. But Roe conflated the right to shield information from disclosure and the right to make and implement important personal decisions without government interference. See uh, Whalen versus Roe. None of these decisions involved what is distinctive about abortion, its effect on what Roe termed potential life. When the court summarized the basis for the scheme it imposed on the country, it asserted that its rules were consistent with, among other things, the relative weights of the respective interests involved and the demands of the profound problems of the present day. These are precisely the sort of considerations that legislative bodies often take into account when they draw lines that accommodate competing interests. The scheme Roe produced looked like legislation, and the court provided the sort of explanation that might be expected from a legislative body. An even more glaring deficiency was Roe's failure to justify the critical distinction it drew between pre- and post-viability abortions. The arbitrary viability line, which Casey termed Roe's central rule, has not found much support among philosophers and ethicists who have attempted to justify a right to abortion. The most obvious problem with any such argument is that viability has changed over time and is heavily dependent on factors, such as medical advances and the availability of quality medical care that have nothing to do with the characteristics of a fetus. When Casey revisited Roe almost 20 years later, it reaffirmed Roe's central holding, but pointedly refrained from endorsing most of its reasoning. The court abandoned any reliance on a privacy right and instead grounded the abortion right entirely on the 14th Amendment's due process clause. The controlling opinion criticized and rejected Roe's trimester scheme and substituted a new and obscure undue burden test. Casey, in short, either refused to reaffirm or rejected important aspects of Roe's analysis, failed to remedy glaring deficiencies in Roe's reasoning, endorsed what it termed Roe's central holding, while suggesting that a majority might not have thought it was correct, provided no new support for the abortion right other than Roe's status as precedent, 
and imposed a new test with no firm grounding in constitutional text, history, or precedent. Thirdly, workability. Deciding whether a precedent should be overruled depends in part on whether the rule it imposes is workable. That is, whether it can be understood and applied in a consistent and predictable manner. Casey's undue burden test has scored poorly on the workability scale. The Casey plurality tried to put meaning into the undue burden test by setting out three subsidiary rules. But these rules created their own problems, and the difficulty of applying Casey's new rules surfaced in that very case. Compare um, the two cases. Uh, and that's a quote, Stevens concurring in part and dissenting in part. The experience of the courts of appeals provided further evidence that Casey's line between the permissible and unconstitutional restrictions has provided to be impossible to draw with precision. That's uh, Janice. Casey has generated a long list of circuit conflicts. Continued adherence to Casey's unworkable undue burden test would undermine, not advance, the even-handed, predictable, and consistent development of legal principles. It's quoting Payne. Fourth, effect on other areas of law. Roe and Casey have led to the distortion of many important but unrelated legal doctrines, and that effect provides further support for overruling those decisions. See Ramos versus Louisiana, uh, Kavanaugh concurring. Reliance interests, or, sorry, fifthly, reliance interests. Overruling Roe and Casey will not upend concrete reliance interests like those that develop in cases involving property and contracting rights. That's pain. In Casey, the controlling opinion concluded that traditional reliance interests were not implicated because getting an abortion is generally unplanned activity and reproductive planning could take virtually immediate account of any sudden restoration of state authority to ban abortions. Instead, the opinion perceived a more intangible form of reliance, namely that people had organized intimate relationships and made choices that defined their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of an abortion in the event that contraception should fail and that the ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. The contending sides in this case make impassioned and conflicting arguments about the effects of the abortion right on the lives of women, as well as the status of the fetus. Casey's plurality speculative, Casey's plurality's speculative attempt to weigh the relative importance of the interests of the fetus and the mother represent a departure from the original constitutional proposition that courts do not substitute their social and economic beliefs for the judgment of legislative bodies. It's a Ferguson versus Gruppa. The Solicitor General suggests that overruling Roe and Casey would threaten the protection of other rights under the Due Process Clause. The court emphasizes that this decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. 
Casey identified another concern, namely the danger that the public will perceive a decision overruling a controversial watershed decision, such as Roe, is influenced by political considerations or public opinion. But the court cannot allow its decisions to be affected by such extraneous concerns. A precedent of which this court is subject to the usual a precedent of this court is subject to the usual principles of stare decisis, under which adherence to precedent is the norm, but not an inexorable command. If the rule were otherwise erroneous, decisions like Plessy if the rule were otherwise, erroneous decisions like Plessy would still be the law. The court's job is to interpret the law, applying long-standing principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. Under the court's precedence, rational basis review is the appropriate standard to apply when state abortion regulations undergo constitutional challenge. Given that procuring an abortion is not a fundamental constitutional right, it follows that these states may regulate abortion for legitimate reasons, and when such regulations are challenged under the Constitution, courts cannot substitute their social and economic beliefs for the judgment of legislative bodies. It's Ferguson again. That applies even when the laws at issue concern matters of great social significance and moral substance. A law regulating abortion, like other health and welfare laws, is entitled to strong presumption of validity. That's uh, Heller versus Doe. It must be sustained if there is a rational basis on which the legislature could have thought that it would serve legitimate state interests. Mississippi's Gestational Age Act is supported by the Mississippi legislature's specific findings, which include the state's asserted interest in protecting the life of the unborn. These legitimate interests provide a rational basis for the Gestational Age Act, and it follows that respondents' constitutional challenge must fail. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. The court overrules those decisions and returns that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court, in which Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined. Justice Thomas and Kavanaugh filed concurring opinions. Chief Justice Roberts filed an opinion concurring in the judgment. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan filed a dissenting opinion. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, find a uh, PayPal link in the show notes. Um, find me on Patreon, though nobody's ever used that one. Uh, or contact me at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com, and I'll tell you how you can help. You could use the help. Um, and again, 